Welcome to episode 12 of the UCLB podcast with me, Nigel Campbell. Uh, today, we're looking at positive impact. Many commercial businesses in the past have defined themselves through the lens of profit, turnover, and return to shareholders. But positive impact in the world was often simply relegated to CSR. But a new generation of businesses are being created out of brilliant world-improving ideas by academics from UCL, specifically with positive social impact at their heart. The commercialization process can be a quite a long road requiring financial, legal and practical support. And that's what UCL business provides to the most promising, impactful innovations. So today we're going to look at two inventors who are on that journey and look at how their inventions might improve our future world. But first, Dr. Anne Lane, CEO of UCL Business, to find out how they go about finding those bright ideas which will improve lives and what it takes for them to scale to a point where they're having true impact. Anne, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Nigel. Lovely to talk to you. Now, UCLB is 30 years old. Uh, happy birthday. Uh, how would you sum up the impact uh, of those 30 years uh, that the commercialization that you do has had and in terms of improving people's lives or having a positive impact in the world? Uh, and I think I've been involved with UCL business for a lot of those 20, of those 30 years. Um, we cover the whole range of UCL's research base, which is huge. So you've got 12,000 academics from things as far afield as ancient history, anthropology, right through to AI. So our portfolio covers all of those areas from things like cell and gene therapies, right through to new innovations from the Slade School of Fine Art using mining waste products, which have a huge impact on the environment, to things like trim tops to help healthy eating from very young children, right through to an app to monitor diabetes, and then during COVID, UCL Ventura breathing device, which went out not just to the NHS in the UK, but worldwide to give access to countries to be able to design and disseminate that breathing device right across the world. So we we have huge impact locally and internationally. And I think that's just really a reflection of how UCL is London's global university. I mean that's extraordinary. You mentioned there twelve thousand academics. You know that 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 is an enormous range, as you've said. How do you go about finding those world-changing ideas that that you want to commercialise and scale? It, it must be like finding a needle in a haystack. It it absolutely is, and I th I do think sometimes people think that we just find these ideas, file a patent, and then the money just comes rolling in. And if only it was like that, I would love it if it was like that, but it really isn't. And in fact, finding those ideas is the hardest and most challenging part of what we do as UCL business. And I think there's a number of ways we do it. We have a very talented team of business managers who all have technical and scientific backgrounds. They have departmental and institutional responsibilities across the university to build those relationships with the academic base and with UCL's researchers. I think we also work in a very entrepreneurial university and that really helps because UCL encourages an entrepreneurial environment that actually has academics thinking about things like that too. So very often 
researchers will come to us with ideas and we need that because we couldn't possibly have a business manager in every single department at UCL because there's more than a hundred and I think at the last count it was 156 departments at UCL. So we, we there's no way that we could cover that huge range. Um, and I think as well, providing training within the university so that people know what's involved in developing their intellectual property, how it can be protected and how you can maximise the impact of that, whether it's financial, which is always good to return money back to the university and people's research, or whether it's economic or societal. So I think you have to have a range of approaches and tackle it at all areas of that. I think the key really is having a university that is tuned into enterprise and innovation and has a whole department dedicated to that, that really supports our efforts. And what for you are the standout innovations or ideas that have been real game changers over the last 30 years? You've mentioned a huge range of, of technologies and businesses that have been built um, out of those, but um, are, are there any favourites for you that you think that is the epitome of world changing? Yeah, I won't pick out any favourites because that'd be like picking out your favourite child. So it's that's a really unfair question, but I'm going to try and answer it because there's lots of things that I just think are fantastic. You've got some of the best minds in the world at UCL. I think the first one I would choose is Roctavium, which is a gene therapy for haemophilia A, which is a deficiency of factor eight clotting factor and causes huge life-changing issues for the people who have that condition. And our gene therapy is effectively a cure for haemophilia A. And it goes from three injections of factor eight into those patients and they have to come into hospital to have that to one injection over a lifetime. And so to me, that's transformative. That's fabulous. But then equally, we've got something like Satalia, which is a spin-out company from the Department of Computer Science at UCL. And the algorithms that that company developed are now used. If you if you order your delivery from Tesco's, for instance, that algorithm and software is behind making sure that that delivery reaches your front door, but does it in the most environmentally friendly manner. So it's the most efficient way of actually bringing that lorry to your doorstep to deliver your groceries. And I think that has something that everybody can identify with. I probably think most people in this country have had some online grocery deliveries or Amazon or whoever it is. And actually in order to do that in the most efficient and less impactful way on the environment is the best thing to do. Wow. I mean, that's that's very impressive indeed. And when you really think about it, yeah, that, that is a massive range of, of technologies and changes to everybody's life. So looking ahead to the next 30 years then of UCLB, what 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 big global challenges or areas of life do you think uh, you, we could all see big improvements from commercialised or scaled innovations that are coming out of universities? Well, again, I mean, I'll just pick out two because I think there will be a range of challenges that, that come forward, like food security, other things, but the two I want to focus on are climate change and um, the ageing population. And I think that's where things like AI come into their own. So people are, are very concerned, I think, about the bad effects that AI could have. But actually, there's some really positive effects. So one standout example is Carbon Re, which is a spin out again from UCL that looks at improving manufacturing processes to reduce their impact on the environment. 
concrete manufacturing is is huge because we've got an increasing population. People need places to live, and concrete is one of the main elements of that new building world. And I think having this reducing by fifty percent the impact that that concrete production has on the environment is huge. So that's that's one area where we're doing a lot of work. We have a climate change institute at UCL as well that's focusing on this. And then I think on the side of the aging population, clearly we've got the Dementia Research Institute Centre at UCL, which is a national network. Uh, but again, in terms of building smart houses, we've got the Bartlett School of Architecture. That area is looking at how can we actually adapt the new houses to help an aging population where you need that urban environment and housing environment for people to be able to carry on living in their own houses for as long as possible. So I think those those are the two major challenges that I would look at. And clearly, cell and gene therapy will have a an impact in those areas. But in terms of the everyday practical things, those, I think, are the two major ones that I would pick out. Exciting times and lots to look forward to. Uh, Anne Lane, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you, Nigel. Joining me now are two academics turned business entrepreneurs uh, who are on that journey as we speak. Buffy Price is COO and co-founder of Carbon Ray, a growing business created from research at UCL's Energy Institute, which aims to reduce industrial CO2 by gigatons by using artificial intelligence to optimise energy-intensive production processes such as cement making, steel and glass production. Buffy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Nigel. Thank you very much for having me here today. Uh, also joining us is uh, Professor Pete Coffey. Uh, he leads the Rescue, Repair and Regeneration team at University College London's Institute of Ophthalmology. Uh, he's a leading expert in the transplantation of human retinal cells to halt deterioration and in some cases even restore sight in types of age-related macular degeneration. Professor Coffey is one of the founders of Ten Point Therapeutics, a business committed to defeating degenerative eye diseases. Pete, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Thanks very much for having me. So both of you are at the forefront of transformative technologies, which could have a huge global impact. So for our listener, I wonder if you could briefly describe your innovation and how you think it'll make a difference in the world. But Buffy, you go first, why not? Thanks. Well, as, as you mentioned, we are focusing on decarbonizing energy intensive industries. Um, we're starting with the cement industry, which accounts for 8% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, combined, the foundation industries that include steel, glass, ceramics, um, paper and chemicals account for about 20% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So the impact is huge. We are focusing on the pyro processing part of materials production. Uh, which uses vast amounts of fossil fuels to generate very, very high heat. So in cement, that's about 40% of the total emissions. Our technology is a cloud-based process efficiency platform that can plug directly into uh, the distributed control center of a cement plant and optimize the processes, recommend set points for the cement plant operator to be able to generate the same amount of throughput at a consistent quality whilst using the most optimal amount of fuel. At the moment, we're looking at between 2 and 5% reduction in fuel use. We think we can push that envelope to about 8% reduction and potentially with additional features up to about 
14 to 15% reduction. So as you can imagine, on a, on a global scale, that impact could be huge. We are looking at the megaton to gigaton um, impact in terms of CO2 reduction. And that's really extraordinary. I mean, when you, when you look at, you know, the long-term things which governments are trying to do to reduce carbon, there are things which are available and presumably implementable relatively quickly as, as, a, as a digital technology. That's exactly right. And, and really was the, the driver for our first um, product as, as a company. We know that cement production is going to double by 2050. We have strict... Uh, net zero targets uh, to reach by 2030. So we are working within the existing envelope with uh, existing cement plants so that we're not requiring any hardware, any uh, changes, any capex costs. We are purely optimizing how cement is made today. Most of the cement plants have uh, a lifespan of 30, 40, 50 years. So we know that these cement plants are going to be operating over the next decades. So being able to reduce the, uh, the the fuel that is being burnt today and in the coming decade is pivotal and going to have a lot of impact. Amazing. Uh, Pete, you know, uh, the prospect of uh, halting one of the most widespread um, causes of sight loss uh, must be incredibly exciting. Tell us more about uh, about that and, and, and what you think the difference will be and, and 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 what it is that you that you've done so hi nigel um it was back in 2009 with uh uclb that we basically took a step outside of the lab and went for what is now a new paradigm within medicine which is instead of taking a person at a time in which they're suffering from a particular ailment and typically maintaining that person at the level they enter the doctor's waiting room. But actually, can we in some way restore the biology of that person back to the state it was prior to the onset of whatever problem they're suffering from? So can we actually restore a person's health and biology to a state prior to the onset of a disease. And this new paradigm within medicine has gone further in trying to establish that biology by replacing cells that actually die in a person. So almost like um, the organ transplants that are already available for heart, lung, liver, kidney, but on a much more specific um, application. And what we're looking at uh, at uh, Moorfields Eye Hospital and the Institute of Ophthalmology, uh, and if anyone can spell ophthalmology, well done, uh, uh, is to uh, replace the cells at the back of the eye in people who sadly suffer from a condition known as age-related macular degeneration. So it's a population over the age of 70, and it's nearly 30% of those over 70 start to lose their sight due to the death of cells at the back of the eye. And our program has been able to make those cells in a dish and replace them back into those patients. So we've just finished 
uh, the trial now in which uh, patients in the um, uh, in the group in which they received the treatment are getting some visual recovery back. And back in 2018, we actually published some nice work uh, in which one of the patients couldn't even see the book that was in front of him. And after the transplant was reading 50 words a minute. And he has maintained that for the last nearly eight years now. So um, this is, you know, a new paradigm, like I said, but it's one of the first, if not the first, to show that this ability of restoring someone's biology prior to the onset of disease is achievable by using these new cell type approaches. So UCL is at the forefront. Uh, UCLB uh, has been with us on that uh, travel. As you say, it's taken a, quite a while, um, but they've been there since 2007, 2009. And we now have um, a biotech company and UCLB are still with that biotech company. They are on the board of that company as well, um, which has been a great achievement at the end of my, or nearly the end of my career, where actually, I believe, rather than writing a journal article, there might actually be something beneficial in terms of a patient treatment. So, yeah, it's been a great journey. This is one of the uh, things that um, is a limitation on, on podcasts in a way, because uh, if the listener could see everyone on, on this call at the moment, uh, you'd see them smiling from ear to ear, just thinking Very about true. sheer... Uh, potential for both of these um, innovations to really transform everyone's lives. So, you know, it's it's really inspiring. And I think everyone is, sort of fires everyone's imagination up. And, you know, some of those uh, stats that you both mentioned there, gigatons of CO2, 30% of over 70 is potentially benefiting from, from some kind of revolutionary treatment to save their eyesight. These are the kinds of things which the 21st century and innovators like yourselves um, wants to see um but it is a long road isn't it from the lab to the marketplace and um why do you think it's important to commercialize technologies after all there are many academics and researchers um who might be a little bit um uncomfortable perhaps with uh, the whole process of commercialization and the notion of it um why is it important and 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 what do you think the impact of commercialization will have in terms of, of your innovations Buffett. Well, for us, it's absolutely essential um, because our product is artificial intelligence. We require plant data. So we need to be out in plants. These are really volatile, highly complex environments. Um, so it'd be very, very difficult to be able to generate those kind of conditions in any lab environment. Um, certainly, the, the path to commercialization for artificial intelligence is, is a long one. It requires a lot of upfront costs in terms of the people power, the excellent uh, brain power that we get from the likes of UCL. Um, we're also a spin out of Cambridge University. So we're able to attract amazing talent and it takes a while to develop the models to to create that understanding of the, the pyroprocessing process. Um, so we also need to be able to demonstrate to our investors that there is a market. Uh, we can have a very impactful product, but if the cement producers aren't interested in buying it and integrating it in within their systems, then we're not going to have any climate impact at all. 
the reason we went with this uh, process efficiency product in the first instance was really driven by that existential crisis uh, of we need to have impact in the short term. Um, so also that's another reason to be going out to market as soon as possible, have those cement plants using our software, whether in the early days that the, the one to 2% reduction, um, you know, maybe later on we, we'd be pushing that envelope up higher as, as I mentioned previously. So we need to, we need to be out there. We want the plants using it and commercialization is the way to do it. And Pete, commercialization and medicine, uh, not often um thought of as comfortable bedfellows for most people who are on the receiving end of those things but obviously they're, they're, they're critical uh, what what role is it playing in in rolling out uh, your um your transplant technology um to help save people's eyesight um so yeah nigel i think as you rightly say it's something which people don't like talking about in terms of medicines as in you know especially within the uk where it's a social health network and um, but um, there's nearly 700,000 patients suffer from the condition we're trying to treat. In my best, even if I were was working seven days a week, I would not be able to make enough of the therapy for 700,000 um, people. So, you know, we need to invest in both the manufacturing, the infrastructure, and also the clinic. And we want to one of the issues which you never think about it when you start these processes is we can make as many of the cells now that we need for that population. That is no longer a problem, which was part of the, the process, as in, can we make enough of the medicine? Uh, and the answer is yes. But now we need clinicians and hospitals to deliver to a population of 700,000. So... That's a great problem to have as it's now down to the clinicians in being able to surgically implant those cells into patients. And again, that infrastructure, not just the manufacturing, the teaching, the clinical expertise, that has to be financed. And, you know, we need to do that ourselves. We can't just call on government to be able to to treat 700,000 patients. So commercialization is crucial to success. But equally, one of the things we are very wary of is how often these new therapeutics are oft, often priced very high. And what we are trying to do is not get into a position where it's not affordable to the NHS. We want it to be affordable, but equally those people who are investing do want to make some um, benefit for themselves. So, you know, we want to play this in an, into a situation whereby we can deliver it to the NHS to an affordable price and one which can be delivered to a patient in a safe and efficient way. So the only way we can do that is by bringing on commercial partners who have that expertise. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it's taking me down routes. I, I never thought I would ever even go or even understand. And some of them I still don't, but that's the beauty of going 
into commercialization. Um, we uh, have sort of subtitled this this podcast, this episode uh, about positive impact. Um, how do you go about defining what positive impact is in 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 your 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 areas of life, and and how challenging is it to to measure? Pete, you mentioned seven hundred thousand. That's a very specific figure in terms of a patient population. How are you going to know when you've been successful and had that positive impact? Um, positive impact in, in are the projects which I'm, you know, uh, presenting to you guys today. I think as many many aspects. Um, it's not necessarily just delivering that treatment to the patient. It's also the skill set that you need. So you're actually uh, bringing on new doctors, you're bringing on new scientists, you're bringing on new manufacturing techniques. All of these are actually, in terms of uh, the the country, beneficial. So one of the one of the things that's happened is now the London project is being set as an exemplar for these types of regenerative medicines. So we now have three or four different groups who are calling on the expertise to help them go into clinical trials for things like um, uh, Parkinson's disease, for example, is one of them. So we have Swedish groups working with us. We have a number of groups. And that's now globally impacting. Uh, equally, in terms of getting the therapies to the NHS, how the NHS can take become an alpha clinic is what we're calling it at the moment. So taking discovery science to the clinic in the most efficient and also effective way. So it's having major impacts in a number of different areas, not just that specific patient who's receiving the treatment. Even in the regulatory process of how um, do we... um, make sure these uh, medicines are absolutely safe. We're also working with the FDA in the US. So, you know, again, this whole endeavor is bringing in global groups and organizations to which we can benefit and they can benefit. So the impact, I, I, you know, goes in many, many different areas, nothing to do with commerce, in fact. Um, but to deal with the you know the ongoing issues about any medicine when you're trying to bring it to the patient. And Buffy, uh, presumably you're as you're going along this route, also discovering that your innovation is uh, sparking knock-on positive impacts, not just in certain industries. The impact that Carbon Ray is achieving is much more easy to calculate because we're talking about a reduction in fossil fuel use or increase in alternative fuel. Um, So at the moment, the installation of one feature in an average sized uh, cement plant is equivalent to taking about 1,000 cars off the road every year. It's about 4,800 tons. Um, So that is, you know, a, a direct correlation. But there are additional impacts. Um, if we don't overburn the clinker, it means that further downstream, you don't need to use so much electricity in the grinding process. By having a more stable plant, you have less downtime. Very hard to quantify how much that downtime would be in the absence of it happening. 
um, having more throughput makes it um, a more reliable process for the producer to be able to meet their, their client requests. So there are lots and lots of um, knock-on uh, impacts that are, are great for the cement producer, but harder to define. And um, more broadly, we are teaching our AI algorithms the principles of physics and chemistry in a closed box process. And this has never been done before. And we hope our future vision of where we can take this technology might be looking at how we make materials and how that materials transformation happens in those high heat processes. Yeah, so the, the longer term impacts of our technologies what we're able to do by learning and getting insights into what happens in that high heat process might evolve into a new generation of materials for our future cities. We don't know yet. We have high ambition. Wow, ambition indeed, and and really exciting in in both of those those areas. Uh, we touched on earlier. Both of you mentioned uh, UCL businesses' sort of uh, role in in that commercialization process. Um, what have you learned along the way, starting perhaps from a point of um, having the idea, but not having a, really a sense of, of of the entrepreneurship and the and, and the journey, the commercialization journey to where you are now? What 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 are the the big things that you've learned uh, from this this process that you've been through, Pete? Wow, that's a good question, uh, Nigel. I think the major thing I've learned is how to present your case in terms of someone who's wanting to invest in a particular program of research or studies who clearly isn't as expertise as or isn't as expert as as Buffy and myself say are in our own fields but being able to present it in such a way that they understand our enthusiasm as to why we believe this is hugely important and can actually deliver. That's the other thing, as in what is it we're going to deliver to these organizations, these groups, to the NHS, to, you know, cement, whatever it is. It's how best can we actually present that to enable the investors to thoroughly understand their risk in backing these areas, or even do it doing the same with UCL UCLB. You know, UCLB has a huge access to projects at UCL itself. You know, it goes from cement to eyes. I mean, that's and how the hell do you decide what you think and what you want to believe in? So, you know, that process of going together with UCLB to really understand what is it that you can succeed in by taking this project forward. And Buffy, what are, what are the things that, you, what's the main thing that you've learned about either yourself or your business or your innovation or your process? Well, I found myself not nodding to, to Pete's comments there, um, certainly in articulating our product and understanding how to sell it to the, the commercial um, buyer, but also to the amazing talent that we get um, you know, out of the likes of UCL um, to draw the, the AI talent, which is quite rare and has an opportunity to go and be earning huge salaries at 
Meta and Google and the like. So being able to refine that message over time has been quite quite a journey for us. Um, the you know a lot of it was trial by you know learn by doing. Um, but the opportunities that we have by being part of a portfolio with UCLB is this incredible network and this peer to peer learning. So as as different as uh, mine and Pete's companies are, some of the tangible business challenges we have are, are very familiar and. That, just being able to ha- have those networking opportunities to share our pain points and our and our wins with peers has been really, really valuable. So there'll be people listening to this podcast who've uh, you know been inspired by bo- both of your stories. Um, what would you say to them if they've got a burning desire to change the world uh, and they've got an idea that they think will do it? What what would your piece of advice be from um, from the the, the highs and lows that you've uh, experienced so far in your your journey, Buffy. What, what would what would you say? Um, so I'm laughing at, at the question. Um, it has been a challenging journey. Uh, what has got me through it has been the people I've been working with. Um, some people are really bold and will go it alone. Um, my recommendation would be to find one or two, three um, co-founders to go on that journey with you to to share the lows when the on the the dark nights where things are, are looking bleak, having some brilliant um, peers, uh, my co-founders, Professor Aidan O'Sullivan from UCL and Dr. Daniel Summerbell from from Cambridge just really got me through some tricky times. And, you know, without that support, without that peer, peer um, input and, and the diverse uh, thinking, uh, I don't think I could have got this far. So my recommendation would be to find, find that person that you can work with. How about you, Pete? I would say exactly as Buffy says, it's getting a good group of people to which you can trust, in which you can bring in, um, but listen to the advice you're being given. Um, for example, you know, medicine's full of this. Having a great idea and thinking you've got a great target doesn't mean you're going to be able to do that in a patient, for example. So listen to the advice you're being given. Specifically on the commercial side, it's getting used to a field to which if you are an innovator, as opposed to someone who's used to commercial, then there's a lot you need to learn. You may be smart in your own area, but recognize your limitations. And, you know, be enthused by your idea, but listen to what's being said, because you'll get, to the position quicker that you want to be by listening rather than antagonizing, should we say. So having the idea is great, but that's just a start. Amazing. Um, It's been really inspiring speaking to both of you, and I think anyone can see the potential and real positive impacts that both of your, uh, your innovations, your ideas, and the businesses that you are building are going to have uh, in in the coming years, and and it, it's phenomenally uh, exciting. So, uh, Pete Coffey at Buffy Price, thank you very much indeed for joining me today. Thank you very much. And if you'd like to hear more from uh, innovators about how they've made successful businesses from their ideas, check out our other episodes uh, in this UCLB series. Um, and there are more inspiring stories in UCLB's brand new Impact Report, which you can download by visiting uclb.com forward slash impact. Thank you indeed for listening.